Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is my other cat now. It's like they both had to make appearances. Because oh they know, they know Dewey wants some friends They're too. camera hogs. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I have Allison Bree with me this time. We are talking happiest season and brace yourself because we are talking a little bit of everything. I will. I'll give you a cat for a cat right now. Oh, good. Thank you. Do you oh. know? Do you know what this cat's name is? It's Deputy no, Dewey. It? Oh, really? So I will be asking you a scream question or two. I'm so glad because my husband and I just rewatched all the Scream movies, which had to include Scream 4. <laughs> Wait, now I have to start with the most important question first. How do you feel about Scream 3? Oh, to me, Scream 3 is better than Scream 2. So I would rank, but then I kind of think, I mean, I'm a little biased. I, I would rank them like this, original Scream, and then like a significant drop off. And then I would go scream four, scream three, scream two. <laughs> you know, I don't blame you. I have I have a major spot in my heart for scream three. I still I still go. I go scream. Scream is like it's my second favorite movie of all time, so it's kind of untouchable. But scream two and scream four are very very special install. I I fully mean it too. It's not just because I'm talking to you. I think scream four doesn't get the credit it really deserves. I agree, but I'm shocked that you would put Scream 2 in that category. <laughs> it's fair, because I've heard that opinion before. I could seriously talk to you about Scream for the full 40 minutes, but... So could I be careful? <laughs> I warned you, we talk about a little bit of everything going back to the very, very beginning. And I mean the right. very beginning. So <laughs> what movie, show, performance, personal experience, you name it, first signal to you that you absolutely had to be an actor? You know, I, I'm trying to think what the early stuff was. I definitely know that 
my parents this is my other cat now it's like they both had to make appearances because oh they know they know do we want some friends They're too? camera hogs <laughs> um gosh early stuff i'm trying i know that like definitely because i have an older sister and she's only a couple years older than me but i got to watch a lot of adult movies like earlier than I should have because as soon as they started letting my sister watch stuff then I was allowed to watch it and, and I always wanted to act so it's hard for me to pinpoint like where exactly that came from because I, I you know I'm sure a lot of it had to do with wanting attention I was just like such a ham as a child and I still am <laughs> all the time I'm like oh it's just it's still in you huh um but you know there's a lot of movies or actresses like Annette Benning and Sigourney Weaver um, and Frances McDormand and um, Melanie Griffith and Working Girl, uh, you know, stuff like that. I feel like that I was watching in as, as like a young, I was probably watching it like as a preteen a little later after these late 80s movies came out and then they were on cable and I was watching like a lot of HBO in the 90s <laughs> and it's 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 those women I think that really had a big influence on me that's a pretty solid list there <laughs> so bad. I guess probably maybe the next step to that would be when you did decide you want to be an actor because you have a lot of diversity on your resume right now did you yeah. ever picture yourself saying like I don't know, like, I want to be a comedy star or I want to do action movies or horror movies. Was it like a specific thing that you pictured yourself ended up being? No, I, no. The thing that I pictured is not what it ended up being. Um, but I would say I remember distinctly in high school, because this is just makes me laugh sometimes. Uh, you know, I never wanted to be a child actor, which I asked my mom about more recently, because I was kind of like, mom, it's really cool that you didn't like try to make like let me it's cool that you didn't like let me do auditions for movies and stuff when i was like 10. i think it probably i think it was good that i went to regular school and did plays in school and she was like oh that was all you you didn't want to do that stuff we tried to put you in this commercial acting class you hated it you just wanted to do theater i was like such a snob about theater and I remember thinking that my way in when I was in high school, I remember thinking, well, I'll either do a period piece, like a period drama or like a dark, gritty indie, because I feel like in my mind, that was how people broke out. You know what I mean? Like that was how you would book your first big movie is like they were they would cast unknown actors in those types of movies. So that was sort of my goal that was on my mind. And then uh, I went to CalArts and I studied theater and I got my bachelor's degree, my BFA of uh, fine arts. And again, I just, I think because I loved theater and I loved classical theater, Shakespeare and Moliere and Chekhov and stuff like that, that um, I never thought I would do television, even though I grew up watching so much television, you know, all of it saved by the bell from like the Miss Bliss years, all the way to the college years, 90210, Dawson's Creek, like all the teen shows um, and all of that stuff. But I just, I don't know. I was so, it, I feel like I was very snobby about it even in um, college. And then it, of course, I, that's just where I've done most of my work. <laughs> When when did that change? Did it have anything to do with your first on-screen credit being Hannah Montana? 
I'm sure it did. I think it I think it had to do honestly with with, you know, graduating from theater school where your acting career is an abstract idea that is like able to be whatever you want it to be and entering the real world of auditioning. And I mean, one, realizing that everything is a crapshoot, but more optimistically, realizing that I just loved acting. I really didn't care the medium. You know, I, I actually, to, it was one thing to be a, a sophomore in theater school, you know, kind of like putting my nose up at like my roommate's friend who was on the OC and being like, I mean, that's cool if you want to do that kind of thing. Uh, you know, to, to then being out and auditioning and sort of being like, oh, I just want to act. I'll do it anywhere, anytime. And, and truly I did, I did like, you know, I was like auditioning for USC student films uh, after I graduated from college and did a couple. And, um, you know, I did a very schlocky B horror movie early on. With Kane Hodder, right? That's right. That's I'm, right. I'm a big fan of Kane's, especially his work <laughs> in the Friday franchise. There you go. Yes, that was that was like a real coup for that movie. Um, but working on Hannah Montana was actually the perfect first job also coming out of theater school because it shoots with a live studio audience. It's the only show I've ever done, I, I guess, with a live studio audience. So it, did, it felt very adjacent to theatrical performing. Was there anything about stepping onto that set that, I don't know, either upped the nerves or made you feel more at ease? Because I get that was season one, one. So I don't know if the popularity of the show had already kind of hit you when you did that. No, not at all. I was, I couldn't be more comfortable. When I think about like myself auditioning for that show, I'm always like, God, I should, I got to get back to that level of not caring because I kind of was just like, what's this Disney show with Billy Ray Cyrus and his daughters on it? Like truly, because, because it was season one, the show hadn't even come out. Miley Cyrus was not what she is now. And, um, and I remember I took a big swing in my audition and I went in, it was not requested but I went in and did this like very broad Long Island accent and and then they called me back and I did it again and then they had me wait to continue auditioning I heard them telling other girls in the hallway to to do an accent like I heard them being like and could you is there any chance you could do like a New York or a Long Island accent I was like whoa what a choice I would never I feel like I would just never have the balls to do that at an audition now I got to get back to that place and then of course day one I, I got the job I walked on set to shoot and the first thing the director said was like I love it it's hilarious just lose the accent and we're fine wait like, I have many questions about this yes. well, what specifically makes a Long Island accent to you I don't know <laughs> I'm not an expert I just made something up I was like I don't even want to do it because you're gonna be like that's not no no, no, no please I, I'm I picturing really like the nanny it was a long time ago what was the dialogue it was like all right let me do your hair <laughs> You might be talking to a Long Islander. Right I know, now. I could tell. I'm the, like, oh God, this the, is a disaster. The key, the key when I can usually hear it is when someone says Long Island, but they put it into one word and it's Long Island, not Long, Long Island. Island. <laughs> I've also been told that I say coffee and water funny and I, I get yelled at all the time for saying Mario and not Mario. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I'll use that. That's a good like trigger word for the accent. I'll get that. It's Mario. <laughs> Going back to something that you were kind of talking about earlier, just the eagerness to do any kind of acting. So 
I'm the kind of person where I can't say no to anything work-wise because I love doing it so much. Yeah. And I imagine when you're first starting out, there's this urge to do every opportunity that comes your way. But yeah. you also want to shape your filmography in a way that really speaks to the career you want to pursue. So at what point did you kind of maybe feel that shift happening? Oh, gosh, uh, honestly, probably not until about four years ago. I, I think I would, I would sort of credit Glow as being this major turning point in my career because it was probably the first time coming out of doing seven seasons of Mad Men and six seasons of Community that I really felt like I had earned <laughs> um, the right to, to choose things like that. And even during my time, you know, we were shooting Mad Men and Community simultaneously, and I still always felt a real um, need to, to book my hiatuses like full of movies. Like I, I feel like with my old manager, we had a like two movie rule where like every time, and the hiatuses were not very long for community. And it would be like, if we could fit in two movies, it doesn't matter what they are. And I feel like the same thing, what would happen every time inevitably is I would try to be picky and hold off on stuff and, and sort of pass on auditioning for certain things and try to be choosy. And then I'd feel the clock ticking. And then whatever the next thing was that I read, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go in for that. Um, and often, I, 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 I mean, it wasn't a total free for all. And it's not to say that I'm not proud of, you know, a lot of the work that I was doing during that time. I think I just had a different priority. I was just wanted to build a career, get as much experience as possible. And, and and like you're saying, because I love working so much, I think I always was able to be like, I mean, the script isn't great, but those actors are so funny. So that would be good. I think I could bring something to that character would be fun. Like any little nugget that I could find. And, and then there was like a distinct turning point, I think because the material glow to me was such a great show. And I was really coming into my own as an actress and I felt like glow on its own set the bar really high. And then I got to do some movies like um, the disaster artist and the little hours, which I'm really proud of both of those. And, and I feel like that's sort of when, you know, it was probably one season into glow where I kind of was like, okay, I should slow, let me slow down a little bit. I don't want to have things that I'm not proud of anymore on my resume. <laughs> and, and again, there's nothing I'm ashamed of, but I did, but you know, you got at a certain point, you're like, okay, I've done a lot of this type of movie and let me try to do something a little bit different and try to grow as an actor and, and just change it up a little. For sure. It feels like a necessary part of honing your craft too. You'll never really pinpoint what speaks to you and what you're best at unless you go through all those experiences. Absolutely. So you were shooting Community and Mad Men at the same time and then also cramming in movies in between. So I, what was it like balancing all of that? And would you ever do something like that schedule wise again? Oof, that is a great question. Um, first of all, it was amazing. Are you kidding? I felt so excited and proud. And I just felt like a working actor, which had always been the goal, the most exciting days for me. I mean, we started shooting Mad Men two years before Community started. So I had been recurring on that show, um, which which meant a lot of waiting by the phone and turning down other jobs, like at the last minute, because I might have to come in for a day for an episode of Mad Men. And I was like, 
whatever I was going to do is not as good as that. So just clear the schedule. I'd rather wait and work on nothing. Um, so yeah, but the most exciting days really were, I mean, and there were really only a handful of them, but there were days where I would start on the morning in the morning on community and then do like a half day over there or sometimes a pretty full day and then drive over to Mad Men and shoot into the evening over there. And it just, it was probably the first time where I was like, I did it. Like, I, like, I did it. <laughs> like, I just felt so cool in my car, listening to music. Just like, I am working. I'm working on these two really cool shows. And, and for me, the characters could, I felt the characters were very different. I feel like a lot of, I came to learn that maybe people didn't perceive the characters as being that different, but, but obviously the eras of the show are quite different and the tones of the show are very different. So that alone still felt like a fun flexing of different acting muscles. What was it like doing the drive from one to the other? Is there anything you could do on the way there to kind of like snap you out of one and into the other? Yeah, probably just go over lines for the scenes for the day or put on, you know, I'm big into music. So I'll put on like the, the era of, you know, the music of uh, whatever we're doing. But I would say much more than the drive, the costumes were, were kind of what helped. Like getting into the Mad Men, you, you know, we wore all the undergarments from the 60s. So we had girdles and, uh, you know, the stockings and all the things. So that was enough to get me into character. Someone recently brought up to me how they learn their lines and I didn't realize how fascinating individual processes are in that respect. So what is the what are the tips and the tricks that you use to memorize your lines? How do I memorize my lines? Well, the first thing I will say is even when I'm auditioning for something, I can tell right away if I'm connecting to the character or not <clears throat> based on how easy it is for me to remember the lines. Like if, if I click with a character and just get where they're coming from, and, and also this speaks to writing too, I think when something is really well-written, then the dialogue is flowing so seamlessly from the character and it makes a lot of sense and it's very easy to remember. And then there are other times where I just, it's like, as I'm, I'm like, God, this is not sinking in at all. I clearly have no connection to this person. Um, so a lot of the ways, I guess I'm, I guess I'm sort of visual. I also do, well here, okay. I, I like to do a multi-day process. So on a show or on a movie, I guess either way, it's like I'll have the schedule and I really diligently go over the schedule of what scenes we're shooting what day. And then I try to get like say two days ahead of the dialogue, go through the scenes, um, write often like my thoughts, kind of what my character's thinking that is like informing the line. I used to write my lines. If I'm really having trouble, I'll get out a notebook and write, try to just write from memory, like I'm writing a journal, all my lines. Um, but I seldom do that anymore. I more kind of will write notes about thoughts a couple days ahead. And then like, as it gets closer, you know, I'm like loosely looking over what's in two days, a little bit looking over whatever. And then whatever's tomorrow, the night before, I really kind of try to drill it in so I can sleep on it and then have the sides in my hand when I get to set just to make sure. And like, usually I have it. It sounds like I do so much work, but it's like, it really is, it's easy. It's not, you know what I mean? 
kind of yeah, just reading I mean, it, I, reading it. <laughs> for whatever reason, like I keep comparing the answers I get to how I prep for these interviews and like what you said about when a line feels right kind of applies to the questions that I ask. It's like, if I can't think of one of the questions I've written on the spot, it probably wasn't worth asking to begin with. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about working with showrunners and in particular, the differences between some of the ones that you've worked with, I guess mainly yeah. like Dan, Matt, Liz and Carly, who yeah. does something uh, super unique on those sets that really stands out to you as far as keeping their overall vision for the show intact? <laughs> Ooh, this is a minefield. Um, okay, well, the first thing that needs to be said as the umbrella statement is, Glow is the first show I've been on as number one on the call sheet, you know, essentially the lead of the show. And when that is your role, I would say that you have, one has a very different relationship with their showrunners. So innately, uh, you know, I'm much closer with Liz and Carly. I felt like, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's sort of hard. I mean, they're all so distinct, so it's actually quite easy to compare everybody, but like, I had a much more personal relationship with Liz and Carly because that's the nature of a number one in their showrunners. And I think that is, has always been the case. And I observed it on those other shows, you know, with Joel McHale and uh, John Hamm. But, you know, Matt Weiner, I think is notorious for being very specific and deservedly so. The dialogue, you know, the writing on Mad Men was so incredible. And talk about it being easy to memorize because there's so much going on. There's so much subtext written into every scene. Characters who pop in for one scene have like a ton of backstory going on. Everything carries weight and meaning. So he was, you know, a real stickler for us saying everything word perfect, word for word. Um, you know, sometimes even like gestures were written into the dialogue. She puts her hand to her forehead and you better put it to your forehead <laughs> right then. Um, so that was sort of a different style of kind of trying to go, okay, well, let me make this movement still seem organic, uh, you know, and it should because it, it makes a lot of sense for what this character would do. But I loved working for Matt because I love working for someone who knows exactly what they want. And then you know that you've got this like really self-assured leader. And when you've hit it, they tell you. Um, but Matt, especially in the first few seasons too, Matt was on set a ton. Like he, he really was always right there making sure that every single piece was perfect. Uh, and then Dan Harmon's the opposite where we wouldn't see him that much. He was often up in his office, but he had a feed to watch us. Um, so he would sometimes text us uh, notes or, or uh, you know, things like that. And Dan, you know, Dan has got this crazy genius mind. I think it thrives more in chaos. And he, he had a much different battle uh, in terms of, you know, I think Matt having the first scripted show for AMC really ha got a lot of creative freedom versus Dan Harmon is coming to NBC who ha you know has been doing sitcoms since the dawn of TV and Dan's trying to push against that and make it something different so there was a sense of procrastination that I think came out of him not wanting the network to have control over what we were doing, <laughs> you know? So, so it just, everything felt a little more 
uh, frantic, frenetic, chaotic, you know, there were times where Dan would come down and we didn't really have all this, maybe we didn't have the scripts yet for the whole episode, but we had some scenes and then Dan Harmon would come and kind of give us context and be a little more physical and, you know, it was like a little messier, but it really worked for the type of show we were making. And I think it gave all of us room also to bring our own things to those roles and kind of really bond as a cast and, and become something else. And, and Liz and Carly, gosh, I just, I adore those women. I would say Liz and Carly bring so much compassion to everything they do. And it certainly did feel different having that female energy, having two women who were really in tune with every character and really wanted to talk to the actors about how they were feeling about everything. We deal with a lot of tricky subject matters on GLOW in terms of, um, you know, very sort of racist <laughs> wrestling characters and personas in the ring. And also, you know, to things like women in the workplace and um, abortion and a lot of themes, you know, a lot of themes of varying heaviness that we were dealing with. And even in terms of like the nudity on the show, they always would, meet with women or at least phone call beforehand to give you the context of what the nudity was going to be on the scene, which was, I just think I'd never seen it done like that. I've never experienced people who were so attentive and in touch with the entire cast in that way, which was really lovely. I adore that show so much. I know you're probably getting asked about the cancellation a lot and like, it breaks my heart to not be able to experience certain storylines through to the finish. But yeah. I think one of the things that has kind of upset me most was hearing about that open letter about the representation on the show and how that was being dealt with. And the fact that we're not going to get to see that brought through to fruition and actually see the action that was taken when something like that was bring, brought up. So just so yeah. we kind of like don't lose the value of that, just from your perspective, what was it like seeing your co-stars, you know, share their voice on the matter and then seeing the showrunners and the other folks involved actually take their, their uh, stance on it and run with it? Yeah, it was absolutely a, a beautiful thing, you know, it, uh, the, uh, full disclosure, like, you know, to be fully honest about it, I wasn't privy to a lot of those conversations that were going on behind the scenes, like, and rightly so, because that really is not my place. And that those, those conversations were for those members of our cast to have directly with our showrunners and directly with Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I feel so proud of them for making their voices heard. I know that it took a lot of courage and any actor can tell you, especially if you're still recurring on a show, if you're not in the top three on the call sheet, it, it, you can feel, it can feel very precarious. It can feel really dangerous to speak up about anything. And I think that um, what they did is such a sign of, of the way things are changing for the better, even though it didn't, in the end, it, it ended differently than, than we thought, but, um, but not because of the actions that they took at all. So I think it just took an immense amount of bravery for those women to come together and have a really honest conversation about how they were feeling, a really emotional and vulnerable conversation about how they were feeling, but not just that, but also suggestions of how they thought the show could be changed for the better. And I also think a lot of credit is owed to Liz and Carly um, for 
and I just admire them so much for always being the type of women who are open to growing and changing and learning and admitting when they've made mistakes and wanting to make the show better and wanting to change perspectives. And, you know, it made me even more proud to have worked with them and to have worked on a show, you know, that's not only, uh, you know, has a cast that's filled out by Brittany and Sidel and Suni and Shakira and Kia and Ellen, who had the courage to write that letter, um, but also showrunners who really stand by what they say they stand for and we're willing to make those changes. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's gonna come to an end but still make an impression that way, I'm, I'm kind of glad that still got to happen and that still got out there. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think it, it was meaningful um, to those women also to get that closure in a different type of way to, to say, let's, we want to be really honest and that we, we did love our time working on the show, but here is something that we were really looking forward to having happen. It's not going to happen. In another sense of closure, I mean, what is it like for you not getting closure for that character? Because we, <laughs> we were just, we were on the cusp of something that was so important and so deeply personal to her. So is it difficult for you to kind of close the book on that and move on to other projects? I mean, of course, it's, it's, it's so sad in one respect, because it's just my most favorite job I've ever done. And it, it was really, I think it, the way in which it's not sad is in, in just three seasons, I already had, I've gotten so much from the show. When I say the show was life-changing for me, it just uh, on every level, on a personal level, in terms of my self-confidence, my relationship with my body, uh, on a professional level, getting to be a number one on a show, getting to direct, um, you know, as a leader, also to work with all these women, it inspired me to start writing and producing. Like I just, I, oh gosh, so there's a leaf blower happening. Um, there, <laughs> there was, um, there's so much that I, that I already got from it. I feel like I got to hone my acting with incredible actors like Betty Gilpin, who, you know, is also the love of my life. And it's like, I, it brought me to my soulmate in her and, and also Liz and Carly, who hopefully I can work with again. So it, it would be, it like feels so greedy to be like, and I need one more. Um, but of course it's sad. I have such a kinship for my character, Ruth, and especially her relationships with Betty Gilpin's character, Debbie, and, and Mark Maron's character, Sam. I was sort of like, how are things going to end with those two? How is her story going to end? And, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's especially bittersweet because I got to have those conversations with Liz and Carly about what might happen over the course of the season. And we did shoot a couple episodes that no one will ever see. Um, but, oh gosh, is this terrible for you, this sound? I actually don't hear it that oh, bad. Oh, good. Right okay, good. I'm in the my leaf blower situation myself, <laughs> and it's not half bad. What I will say is this year has put everything in perspective, hopefully for a lot of people. I, I think this, this, this pandemic, this disease, these things that are happening, um, you know, in our country and things with Black Lives Matter. There's so many things going on. There are so many important things going on that deserve attention. And I, I think that 
a lot of us are going to go into next year feeling like totally different people. Like I, I feel like I've already changed a lot just in the span of the last eight months, given everything that we've gone through as a country and, you know, in quarantine and on a macro and a micro level within my own home and family and things like that. So in that way, I actually think it makes it easier to move on because it also doesn't feel personal. I, I, you know, a lot of shows are falling by the wayside because of COVID restrictions and expenses and the danger of trying to get back into production. And so, you know, I, I think that I feel like I'll be ready to, to move on to something else. Yeah, I, I mean, I believe that you will. And I believe that the entire ensemble will because I've already seen a whole bunch of stuff that they've released this year and everyone is so insanely talented. I can't get over it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Going into happiest season now. So you have a lot of comedies on your resume. Some of the ones that stand out to me most are movies like, I guess, Sleeping With Other People and maybe the five-year engagement in how those are comedies that aren't necessarily confined to the typical rom-com type box. Mm -hmm. Then you go into Happiest Season, which it which is confined to the pillars of a traditional Christmas family comedy, but for the better. So what was it like purposely playing into pillars like that? Oh, fantastic. I feel like to read this script, it felt... It, just what you're saying, it was like at once totally progressive and refreshing and at the same time felt like a classic. It has all the tropes of things that we know and love from Christmas movies. I love a, come get over here. I love <laughs> a good- my brain looks like 75% of the time. <laughs> I tried to, sometimes I can sort of lock them down in their room, which their room, which is like the den. Um, but they just don't like it. I hate doing no, it to them. I get it. I can't do it either. <laughs> they want to be in the room where I am. Um, yeah, it was just, this movie is all the things. And I, I, reading the script, it was so fun. And mostly what drew me toward it was, was the cast and working with Clea. I watched her first film, The Intervention, which similarly was like, I don't know. You know, I think we've we've definitely seen the indies that are like a take on the big chill so many times. <laughs> um, and yet that one was so well done. The performances were so grounded. You cared about all the characters. Um, it was just well written and well acted. And that's, you know, I'm just always looking to not on the computer to, to work um, with exciting new filmmakers, especially ones of the female persuasion. And uh, and then this script was, you could just see it while you read it. It was like, oh, I know exactly what this movie is. And I've never done the big holiday family rom-com. And like, of course it should have a gay couple at the center. How is this the first time that's happened? You know, um, so it makes me really proud to be part of a movie that that has this great representation for the LGBTQ community. But also I was just like Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, uh, Mary Steenburgen, Victor Garber. I, I believe those four were attached when I signed on and, and Mary Holland who co-wrote it. And I just was like, I mean, yeah, like <laughs> this, there's not a question. I, I also think in it's in terms of, you know, you asked me earlier about would I ever agree to a schedule as busy as um, my schedule had been in the past. And, and I will say that 
that as I get older and like, you know, I'm in a very happy marriage. I have two great cats. You know, there are things that when I was younger, it was like, fly me anywhere, anytime. Uh, I just want to work, work, work. And now I think um, a component that I factor in a lot, in addition to the material, the character, those things, is what will the experience be like? Am I going to have fun? Is it, am I going to be miserable? If I'm going to be miserable, is it worth it? Because it's really important and the material's amazing. Um, I seldom find that I can make an argument for uh, it being worth it to be miserable these days. And reading this and knowing the cast that was going to be involved, I, I think I just was like, God, the script is so joyful. And I know I'm gonna have a great time and I couldn't have had a better time. Everyone was so lovely. It felt like, you know, the way it did with something like community. And I would kind of say the same about Glow, like there, there's a magic sometimes to the way that projects come together with a great cast that clicks immediately. There's no bad egg. Um, and that was this cast and this experience making this movie. And I think you can feel it when you watch it. Are you enjoying the party? Yeah. It's great. If my friend ditched me at a party where I didn't know anyone, I probably wouldn't have a good time. Oh no, she, she didn't ditch me. Oh, she's just helping your dad. Yeah, she's very helpful. So how long have you and Harper been roommates? I moved in like six months ago. You moved into her place? Mm-hmm. Isn't it a one bedroom? Technically. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was a one bedroom, and, and now that we have converted the pantry into my bedroom, it's two bedroom. Um, it's really spacious in there. And I don't want to have this conversation anymore. No problem. I I felt it because there's a point, you know, sometime into the movie where you realize your face starts hurting because you've been <laughs> smiling unknowingly. That, that is exactly what happens here. This is a random question, but I might have done a little Instagram stalking to prep for this interview. Did you learn how to ice skate for this movie? Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, I've done like the base level ice skating that we've all done every so often. Like when I was a teen, probably for, you know, on a date one time, the like awkward ice skating date where you're like holding the side. Uh, but it was such a treat. I love getting to learn new skills for jobs. It's like one of the best parts of being an actor. So when they, you know, call, or even when I was reading the script, I was like, sounds like I'm gonna have to do some ice skating. And, and sure enough, we did about a month of ice skating lessons with a great instructor, Victoria Boa in Pasadena, where I'm from. And it was so fun. It was, it was like, we were doing that in December. So it was Christmas time learning how to ice skate. And we really learned like way more. She just wanted us to be so confident on our skates. We're really, and, and some of it got cut out, but the scene used to be even a little longer. Um, really when we shot it, it's mostly just speed skating and like kind of wrestling while skating fast with each other. But Victoria taught us how to skate backwards and swizzle and stop really fast. We were trying to get to turning around, but it's very difficult. <laughs> there's no there's no double axles in my future, but still. Yeah, I've tried. It's a very difficult thing to pick up on. <laughs> and especially because ever since I moved to LA, it does feel like most of the ice skating opportunities is skating on one of those wax boards and it's just not the same. <laughs> sure, not the same, no, no. But we do use those at, at my gym. <laughs> it's still good for your muscles. 
that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I'll open my mind to more of that. I was I don't know how much workshopping you got to do with the character, but I'm wondering if you guys ever spoke about how far to push the sibling rivalry. So there's still a way back for her in the end. Is there ever right. a time when you're like, maybe this is too mean and we gotta rein it in? Um, no. Uh <laughs> well, the funny thing is. I really didn't get to workshop the character at all because I, 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 you know, we shot it in Pittsburgh and again, it was, it started shooting in January. So it was right after the holidays and we didn't have a table read or anything. I'm like, is that accurate? I think so. So I had met with Clea to discuss the role and sort of my way into understanding this character and having empathy for her, which I feel like for me is important for any and every character I've played is like, I want to understand them and not judge them. And, you know, because this is a holiday movie, every character gets redemption in the end. And so I do think it's all about coming from a place of understanding and especially <clears throat> because my character does get pretty vicious. Uh, it was so important to establish how hurt her feelings are getting throughout the movie uh, every time she doesn't get that attention from her parents that she's looking for. You know, this sibling rival rivalry has existed since they were young girls. They've always been competing for their parents' affection. And this holiday, especially now that Sloan works as a gift basket maker, uh, Mackenzie's character really is getting all of that attention. And, and Sloan is really, uh, you know, relegated to like showing off her kids and talking about how she has a great family. So I really wanted to come at it from just understanding her, her sort of loneliness and hurt and longing and that she's going through stuff in her marriage that she doesn't feel like she can talk about with her family and that she really feels like she has to, like everybody in this family, maintain this perfect facade, even though it's not true. And that is adding a layer of stress and all that. And that like, just to say it, though, I don't think it comes off this way in the movie, but like, it, 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 to me, it's very obvious that Sloane is not a homophobic character in any way. And her issues with her sister are only about, you know, being excited to expose a secret, you know, always just wanting to have a one up on her. But she actually does have love and compassion for her sister. It, it definitely plays that way in the movie, which is why I asked the question, because I think it's a it's a difficult dance to do to be able to land in the spot you guys do with all those characters. Good. Well, I think it was something that was so refreshing. I mean, about the script, but also this great cast is that like, you know, it is it's it's a Christmas comedy, but it's not cheesy. And and the care with which Clea and Mary wrote the script and then the care with which every actor approaches their character from a really grounded place, I think across the board. Um, and, and really it starts with, with Kristen and Mackenzie who have such amazing chemistry and they are just incredible actresses. I've, I've been fans of theirs for a very long time and watching them together, they, you know, they, they set the tone for the whole movie, which is like, these are real people. These aren't kooky Christmas tropes or stereotypes. We want to give heart to all of them. And I think that comes across from every character. You sort of get to see where everyone's coming from because the actors really put in the time to think about who their characters were and really like be present in them. I, I definitely felt that watching the movie. 
man, I can't believe it, but I have to let you go already. No, <laughs> I could talk to you forever. You're, you're too easy to talk to. Do thank your cats for their wonderful cameo. Oh, Dewey. I will. They're still here. Dewey's uh, in loaf mode in the corner right yeah. now, but he sends his love and his thanks uh, to everybody out there who has yet to see Happiest Season. It's available right now on Hulu. I seriously cannot recommend it enough. Anyone who needs a smile has to watch this movie right now. Allison, thank you so much again for your time and huge congratulations on this one and everything. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.